Welcome to CCIRA's Literacy Conversations. I'm Jessica Rickard and I'm here with Molly Rao. And our guest today is Kathy Linsky and she's currently the CCIRA treasurer, but she's going to talk about teaching in the time of COVID. So Kathy, tell us a little bit about your background with teaching. Um, I came to teaching late in life. I was actually, I have two other careers before I became a teacher. I was a uh, missionary and then I was a bookkeeper and a staff accountant. And in my forties, I came into the teaching classroom in California and I taught fifth grade for just one year. Then I moved to Colorado and nobody wanted to hire me. <laughs> so I was a substitute for the first year I was here in Colorado. And the second year I was hired by Deer Creek Elementary up here in Bailey and I've worked for them in multitude of positions. I started as a computer teacher, half-time computer teacher, half-time third grade science teacher, and moved um, after one trimester into a third grade classroom. We had so many students. And then I went three years in third grade, a couple years in fourth grade, a few years in fifth grade, back into the computer lab for three or four years. And now I'm back in fifth grade. Very interesting. So you've had a lot of different positions in education, but outside of education too. How do you think your careers before education kind of helped? Because I know some people that come into education right away, that's all they know when they built their career. So how did your careers before kind of help frame your teaching? Well, that's a really good question. And a lot of people think that, um, uh, that it's only in teaching because it's evident in teaching. You go to school, you go to school, and then you're in school teaching. And um, that happens in other careers as well. You go to school and you learn a profession and you go into that profession assuming that the schooling is going to be the one that's going to teach you what you need to know. And I've seen it in the accounting field and I've seen it in um, uh, other positions where you assume that you are going to be understanding what you need to do and um, uh, actually being, you know, jumping in as an expert. And nobody does that. We all need to keep learning and growing no matter what field we're in. It's not possible to just assume I already know what I need to know and you need to be quiet and let me do my stuff because it won't work that way. I understand the desire to say, I've seen this, I know how it works and it is going to work, but there's nothing wrong with learning something new and trying it. Even if you realize, okay, maybe that isn't going to work. I have to, I have to process through that. So I think the best thing my other careers shared with me is that, um, you're not going to be ready. You're not, you know, you know, um, oh gosh, I can't think of his name. The guy who the first five years, you know, um, Harry Wong, Harry Wong. And he says, you're just forget it. You're a brand new teacher for five years and just relax and accept it. And that's what you're going to be. It's that way in every profession, but we don't always recognize that. And that's, that's the thing that I think I felt like I learned from other professions as well. I, you know, Kathy, I came, teaching is my second career as well. So I feel that so much too. And I would almost take it a step further because 
I think about that with kids. Like when you go into a job, you don't know what to do. So you have to be able to ask questions. You have to be able to problem solve and figure things out. You have to be a little bit of a self-starter. You know, you can't wait for someone to just tell you what to do and you don't know what to do. And so I really build, I try to build that into my classroom as much as I can so that kids can recognize, hey, I can be self-sufficient. I'm not always going to know what to do, but I know how to ask for help or how to use my resources and figure out maybe what I should do next. And, you know, I agree, like, that's, that's part of life, no matter what profession you're in. So I love that you said that because that has definitely impacted my teaching practice. Well, and I think one other thing, Molly, along with that, and I agree with you 100%, I remember being an accountant and being in charge of somebody's money and thinking how important that is. And that stuck with me right up until I'm in charge of somebody else's children and how bit much bigger that is than somebody's money. You know, um, and you just have to realize as frustrated as you get as that at that kid who won't make a good choice, who won't follow what they're doing, that child belongs to somebody else and is their most precious person in their life. And if I don't keep that in my head, I go crazy a little bit. Oh. <laughs> Well, and I think that's become even more evident when we've had online teaching because, you know, parents are saying this is really hard, this is frustrating, but they can also see what we're doing as well. And I thought something you said, you said nothing wrong with learning and trying some new things. So what are what are some things that you've had to try this year with in the teaching of the age of COVID? So um, after last March, we obviously, along with everybody else in the whole wide world, we went online. And so we Zoomed um, our classrooms. And so from March until May, that was probably the biggest learning curve for us because we desperately wanted to give our kids um, work and create appropriate grades. And we were instructed to... um, engage our students, but nobody was allowed to fail. And so there was that whole process of, well, what about these kids that aren't even trying and how do I help them and how do I get to them? And so that was a huge, um, huge learning curve and a stepping stone for us to get over to say, you know, how do I connect with this kid that refuses to connect with us? And our, um, we have great administration and our administration stepped in and called parents and were a big part of that, which helped a lot. So learning to Zoom classroom is one thing, especially I love my little boys and they learned how to make the background and their faces twirl, spin around, and it would make me sick. And I would tell them, do not do that. And what was funny is they would listen to me like I was right there with them or something. I said, do not do that. Miss Linsky's going to get sick all over the computer. Please do not do that. And, you know, they wanted me to figure it out. And I just wasn't even taking the time to learn. I didn't even know how to put a thumbs up, the thumbs up thing. I just make them put their thumbs up. So I didn't care about those pieces. I just cared about the piece where I could teach them something. This year in our school, and I think it's coming up in a question just, but this year in our school, Um, our administration gave our parents choice so they could either go online or they could come in socially distanced, masked at all times in cohorts. You're not allowed to, um, 
intermingle, not for lunch, not for recess, not for any situation. You can't, um, like if we have absences today, we had five adult absences in our school. We're little, so that's, that's a lot. You can't split a classroom up and send half to one class and half to another class. You cannot mix cohorts. They're not allowed to be um, uh, sharing germs. They're not allowed to share germs in any way. So um, what what the administration did for us is the people who are online are flexible. They have opportunity to come back, but their opportunity to come back is not at any time. It has to be for elementary quarterly. So it's a reevaluation quarterly but they contracted with an online service where we still get to count the students in our school, but they are the ones who are doing the educational piece. So we don't even know what's happening. And, and yet if in a few weeks I get a student back, I need to pick that student up and take them forward, which is a challenge, but we're, we're fairly transit transient up here anyway, which is odd. You, you would think that people who lived in the mountains we're going to stay. If you came up here, you'd just stay. But um, so we have to we have to figure that out. We have to figure out how to bring that child up to where everybody else is or in many cases, help that child not get bored while everyone else catches up to them. Kind of it's too it's two sided. So I don't even know if I answered your question. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Uh, and I want to go back a little bit to what we were talking about with parents before, because I'm thinking, you know, I don't know about you, but I feel like this has really pushed that teacher-parent collaboration, like yeah. more than ever before. I think it was always important that we formed partnerships with parents and that we figured out how to be a team versus, you know, sometimes you have opportunity or you have moments where it feels like your adversaries and, you know, you have to find your way through that. And I think the best advice I ever got from a veteran teacher was really about, you know, how we really want the same thing. You know, like you said, these are their most precious yes. thing. And so you, you know, we, we both feel that like, you know, my students are incredibly important to me. They're very important to their parents. So recognizing that we all have kind of the same goal in mind and that's to, you know, support their kids. Um, and I feel like this environment, one, it's, I think we both feel that partnership more. Like I, I have felt very few moments where it feels like, how can I make this not combat? How can we be partners? Because everybody's coming in going, okay, what can we do to help this kid? Like it's totally changed that dynamic with parents. But, you know, just thinking some things that we've been doing at my school, and I don't know about your school, um, how are you connecting with parents? Like, for example, we just finished parent-teacher conferences last week, and they were completely virtual. But it was almost the best thing ever, because there wasn't another parent hanging out, hovering outside your door, and you feel that, like, panic to finish. You know, you have this super private, comfortable conversation. Um, I don't know. It had it, I was surprised. It had a really cool dynamic. And we had parents who normally wouldn't make it to conferences. Like, I talked to a mom while she was driving kids around to soccer practice. Like, she just pulled up. She was talking to me on the phone and driving kids around. So, you know, 
it, that piece was interesting too. But so what are, what are kind of your thoughts about like those partnerships? Have, do you have some good stories or some good tips? Um, so I think the first thing when I think about that, Molly, cause I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think that is vital. And I agree that so many times it becomes adversarial when it doesn't need to be. Um, one thing I learned in business just was go ahead and take the hit, go ahead and say, you're sorry. It's not going to hurt. It's really not going to hurt as much as I just want to punch them. Sometimes it's really not going to hurt to just say, you know, I'm really sorry you feel that way. I'm really sorry. It's coming across that way. Let's see what we can do to try to work forward with that. Um, uh, there was a lot more, um, support starting last March when they had to take over a lot. They, our parents were just incredibly supportive and thankful for the teachers. And it really was nice to hear that as opposed to the, uh, some things I heard online, you know, that, um, well, teachers aren't working. So why don't we just take their salaries? And, you know, that was a little hurtful because that's not true. We have been working and even through summers, we always have things we have to do preparing for or ending or ending and schooling you know, all those sorts of things. But Molly, our conferences are coming next week. So we're looking forward to them. I only have 13 in-person students. That's all I have. And I have to create 13 conferences, um, Zoom conferences. Our internet is not that great up here in the mountains. So we're being allowed to do our conferences at home. So I'm very excited about that. I can, I can do mama um, parents from home. Um, I only have a little more than half of those people who've signed up so far and the conferences are next week, which is not normal. That's a little bit slower sign up situation. I do have one student who struggles quite a bit and um, mom has opened up a little bit to me, but I understand that's a situation that has gone on in years past where there hasn't been a change for this young man in any way. And he's struggling and there's a huge fear as he's we consider him moving into junior high school, what the struggle is going to look like for him at that point. And my administration has shared with me that this mom probably won't make a conference with me, that she won't set one up. Well, I'm that kind of pushy teacher. I'm going to call her on the phone because I need to talk to her because I love her little boy, even though I am writing him because I want him to succeed. I really need to hear mom's Point of view. I really need to hear what she's saying. Um, just recently, I I um, had an issue and I emailed her and said, what do you think about this plan? It was kind of more of a carrot than a stick kind of thing. And um, she did. She responded to part of the email, but she didn't tell me how she felt about it. And sadly, it didn't work for him, which was frustrating. I have seen improvement, but it's hard because you want the best for them and you can see they're capable and you know they can do it and you really want mom and dad to say okay this works for us um maybe that can't work in the classroom because we only have one child but it does work for us is there some way you can tweak it and use it that is really important to me molly i agree with you 100 percent. i love that you mentioned the like asking for advice because that's yeah. something like when i go to talk to a parent I'm really careful that, you know, because again, I do want it to be a partnership. So it's always like, you know, share some of your expertise with me. Just like you said, like, you know, what do you do? And also like, here's what I'm thinking. Do you have ideas about how I can change that? And I think in COVID, again, those conversations become 
that much more important. And also that perspective, like you said, you know, some of these kids like home life is looking crazier than ever. You know, I have had some kids like I give, you know, my kids are a little older than yours, just a couple years because I've got seventh graders. I gave them a survey at the beginning of the year. And some of the things they said, like their, their families are going through tough times right now. And I think we like, that's something that we have to be really cognizant of as teachers right now as well, that it's not just kids who are struggling. Cause like my kids only come, we're hybrid. So, you know, you have your, what was it? 13 in-person kids. You mm-hmm. lucky duck you. I might have 13 at a time, but I have 101 or something mm-hmm. like that total that, you know, see me just, and that's just for social studies. That doesn't count my elective. Like, you know, I have a lot of kids coming through my room and it is a little bit challenging to, you know, keep in contact with that many parents, but I agree. Like it's so worth it. Um, and I do think with COVID, like, I, I don't know about you, Kathy, but I feel like so many more are ready to respond to email. Okay. You know, there was a time when you like, you wouldn't hear back. And now everybody is like, just living through email right now. But I think those phone calls are important too. And sometimes being that pushy teacher and saying, Hey, (laughs) let me pester you a little bit. And that was something because, so they let us do our conferences from home as well, which was really nice because I actually sat in my backyard for a bunch of some and, you know, just enjoyed the outdoors. Um, And my internet at home is way better than at school. (laughs) But, um, now I lost my train of thought. Shocking, I know. Um, oh, so what they had us do is we sat down as a seventh grade team and we made a list of kids that we wanted to make contact with. And we just had a spreadsheet. And basically, if we had an open time slot during conferences when a parent wasn't signed up, they said, contact somebody who's a concern who's not signed up for conferences so that we could also make sure some of our kids that we knew you know we needed phone calls home for that 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 would happen and so like you know and then you know if the language arts teacher made that phone call they just left a little comment in and we all had kind of notes about things that needed to be talked about and so they'd leave a little com you know notes about that they took care of that conversation and so then you'd be like all right who's next now this is the first time in my career i didn't have any open time slots for my conferences i'm a social studies teacher i always have o- open slots no one wants to talk to the social studies teacher but not this time this time i had and they were every like i don't think i've ever had a year where every conversation was so productive because it really was just all about Um, teamwork. Like it was really cool. So, you know, if you're a teacher and you're going into conferences and you're feeling nervous because, you know, COVID has made, like my grades are epically low. My kids are struggling. But I think, you know, everybody's ready to figure it out and work together. And so if you're a teacher and you're really nervous, don't be. Just be ready to go like work together and solve some problems because everybody knows that the situation is hard. And I think, you know, their parents are giving us a lot of grace right now. And I have to, you know, applaud them for that. There's some really kind parents out in the world right now. I agree with you, Molly. And and I have to just say that the grading situation, um, we're having a little bit of a tough time because a few a couple years ago, we did not do well as well as we have normally done on the state testing. And 
we've had a couple of classes go through, including this class, who posted much better grades in our testing. And so we can't use them because we're not testing them, you know, in state testing. And so um, as much as the teachers are thrilled that we don't have to do state testing, the administration right now is saying, if we could only get the information from these kids in there, the data in there for, but really that's not why we teach. We don't teach so we can be better, you know, have better scores with the state. As much as we hate that that's a part of it, that's a really a reality too. So we hope there's no testing this year. <laughs> I have heard otherwise, but <laughs> nothing confirmed. I don't know about. I don't know if anything's confirmed about state testing. Yeah, as as far as we've been told at my school, we are being tested this year. So, wow, because we heard we're probably not being I, tested. I hope so. that your version of the future goes through because yeah <laughs> you guys have been talking a lot about collaboration with parents and I'm wondering about collaboration with teachers and Kathy you brought up a good point that I think people are going to start dealing with because we're into the first trimester um or maybe first quarter and I know that some school districts are letting kids come back if they were online and my understanding is most school districts have a completely separate program for online. And so have you guys talked about how to bring those kids up to speed? Um, and how is that going to work with collaboration with the teachers? With the, with the online teachers. Yes, Jess, that's what you're, you're asking us. So um, I, we don't have clear, direction about that yet. My assumption is that it will be um, more of a um, the similar continuum that we've had in the past where we get a new kid. Uh, one year, I got a student arrive in September, leave in November, arrive in December, leave in January, arrive, same student, arrive back in March and leave again in April. I felt so bad for this little baby going through that. He didn't even have a chance to figure out what any teacher's expectations were. So that being our population, my assumption is that they're expecting us to continue where we are and find out from the student or from the parents who were, who were kind of governing the online situation, you know, if there's anything we need to know, like, did they struggle? Can they do their math fast? Whatever fifth grade standards, you know, we, we need to talk about. Um, we do not have that situation. I have had one student come back so far. He came back in early September. So he chose, his parents chose to start him in online school for the first three weeks of school. He came back and has just slid into the classroom and done a great job. It hasn't been a big transition. However, he has five years behind him at our school. So he knew what was going to be happening when he got there. Our team collaborations within the school, I don't know about you, Molly, but they've been amazing. And it sounds like yours have been amazing just in your discussion about um, meeting the need of a student who um, ha um, hasn't had a, a conference set up or have, you know, parents haven't had a chance. Just that piece is huge. Just trying to meet those needs. Um, I have a... a I have one of the most amazing teachers I've ever seen in my entire life. She's in her second year of teaching. She's very young 
and she's energetic and on the ball. And we all three started together last year as a team. And um, she she's somebody we need to push into CCI, right? Just in your ear. Okay, guys. But she's just amazing. She went to the conference last year. She was given a free conference. And she has just been incredible and growing and doing amazing things. And she actually is a teacher to the older, um, our, our other partner and myself. Our other partner has 27 years in Kansas and then came to Colorado. So she has a totally different perspective. She has this great body of knowledge behind her, but everything's different for her in the last two years. So that makes it tough. That is hard. So um, we have these great teachers and we have a team that is working really well together. Um, our our younger teacher, Molly, you'll love this one. Our younger teacher said to us, well, why don't we start having um, at least one subject a week on in Google Classroom so that if we were to need to leave the classroom again, our kids are prepared. So uh, she's got us doing that. And I just think it's about the wisest thing I've ever seen. You know, we could um, increase that. She has a substitute coming in next Monday, Frank Van Hay. She has a substitute coming in next Monday for her. And she's going to have the kids do everything in Google Classroom. So he's more of a, um, it's kind of almost a flipped classroom in the sense that he's more of a monitor as opposed to a teaching presenter. Although nobody could, do better than Frank Vandehey at any, any rate. He had 40 years in teaching. So um, I just think that that is a great piece that she's bringing to our team and collaborate that we have that ability to move forward. And the other teacher is doing um, an awesome job too for her because it's not that she doesn't know, it's just all new. You know, the process is all new for her. So, um, I don't, again, I don't know if I answered your question. I just went off on a tangent. I apologize. No, I think that was awesome. And that actually reminded me a little bit. Um, well, one, like I totally agree with that idea of we need to teach and practice the technology with them when we have them in front of us, if we can, because it's so hard for them to go and use it at home when they haven't got to practice it with support. You know, this assumption that, you know, they're part of this tech generation and they just can use this stuff. Like, you can't assume that at all, especially, you know, it's it's a terrible thing to say. But educational technology is sometimes clunky. Like, yeah. you know, it's not streamlined very well all the time. So sometimes instead of, you know, something that you're like, why is this not just one click? Why does it take me five clicks to complete this process? Like there's a lot of that kind of stuff in some of our tools. So I, I agree. It's awesome to practice those things a little bit at school. But I also understand like, you know, sometimes my, my co-teacher and I, we're like, oh my gosh, can we just make everything we do at school be offline because they're already spending? Because, you know, our kids are hybrid. So again, they're spending right. three days a week on computers and then they get to come to us for two of those in person. And you're like, I don't want you to be on a computer any more than you have to. But we've also, because we do have them hybrid, we've also tried to go, okay, can I give them some materials in advance so they're at home work is not on a computer so that they have some opportunities to get away from that computer. Um, 
And so really thinking about that too. Um, one thing that my school has prioritized, and you can tell me if this is something you guys are thinking about too, Kathy, like we were already talking about it last year because, you know, we had some teachers go and like sit through kids' schedules and kids sit all day long. Like me as a teacher, I'm up moving around the room, but the kids aren't. And, you know, certainly depending on the teacher and the day and the lesson, you might see more movement. But that's one thing they've really asked us to consider as a staff. Like, how can we get kids moving even while we have to keep them, you know, socially distant and in their masks? And so really thinking about how can you build in some of those things and some of the social time that they don't get because of just the way the world works. Do you guys have any, like, goals or practices that you're using to sort of maximize movement and social time while still focusing on education? Well, um, one thing that didn't come from the COVID, but has been a part of my classroom since I learned it at CCIRA leadership is the, um, the movement for, with music where they can get up and they can dance around. I also do it with breathing instead, but when, and I can't remember her name, if it was Leslie or somebody else, Jessica, eh, it was a long time ago when we still met at the Hyatt for leadership. And we, um, we got up and we moved around and there was music and then the music would stop and um, you'd have to get to your seat without running over or killing anybody. And that's some of the rules. Now, because of COVID, that is different. They have to stand behind their seat and move with the music. And then when the music stops, then I ask a, a question regarding what we were learning at that point. So that it's um, a guided, directed piece back to what we're learning at that point. But that's not new. Just some of the things about it are new. We've had to say, you can't move. So my kids line up behind their seats so that they're distanced from each other. They don't get to be in a traditional line. Because every time they do, they forget that they can't rub up against each other and stuff. And you're like, no, no. Um, but the thing that our school has done, the middle school and high school, take, um, Michelle's told me this, they take um, periodic mask breaks where they all have to go outside and they can remove their masks. And then there's some talking. Uh, we have um, out, outdoor classroom areas that have been set up all around the school and you can sign up for them or you can go see if they're available. And um, you always take your snack time with the kids outdoors. So we take the kids, then they can go. The problem is they have more friends than just the ones in their classroom and they don't get to associate with those kids. Even at recess time, my kids go to one of three places where, and the other two fifth grade classes go to the other. The hardest thing to do for our kids is to say, you can't mingle. You can't run in between their lines. You can't mingle at all. You can't. We have hand washing stations outside all over the, the school. And we actually have currently have an outside cafeteria set up so that they get to eat outside. So there might be a little shouting across some of the tables to some of the other classrooms or across the playgrounds, but they're not allowed to go meet and talk and do anything with them. There is no commingling at all to go on. So that's different. But that is a place to have some air. That's what they're most concerned about in the school is to get some air. That one snow day, not snow day, but a snowy day up here that we had, um, we couldn't take the kids out. It was too cold. 
but we opened windows, turned on fans, and that's the only way they were allowed to have their snack and take their masks off in the classroom. Yep, and we had that snowy day too. And we, you know, like you said, we eat outside. Although I'm jealous of your outdoor cafeteria because we totally just like go park it on the sidewalks and the grass and like, you know, a whole, we're just, you know, sort of spread out in random space. And partly because there are no chairs that help structure them. I spend a lot of time going, stick out your wings. Your wings are touching. You're too close together. <laughs> <laughs> And and sometimes they like to pretend they have very, you know, they'll do like their little penguin arm kind of things, like they have short wings. And I'm like, no, 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 stick them all the way out. See how close you are. And sometimes it's like, all right, you can smack your friend in the head. You're way too close. You know, that's middle schoolers for you, though. And yeah, they're they're always like it's constant. But the wings is the way I've found to, you know, not sound like an angry teacher, like six feet apart, six feet apart. So I just talk I mean, about wings now and we laugh about the wings a little bit. So, you know, you gotta you gotta find your little tactics. Do you have any like cute COVID phrases you use to help keep your kids following the rules? Well, I was just gonna tell you about Mich what Michelle does at the library. I'm trying to think we have said different things and we laugh about them now. But it's been a while since I'm tr I'm trying to think if we have anything specific. We do say things like when we're done with our snack, um, okay, mask and no talking because we're going back in the in the building where people are learning. So mask on and no talking. And the kids are so funny because they're like, oh, I don't have my mask on. You know, I don't I don't have what I need. On. But Michelle's told me that what they do, she wants to do at the library because they're allowed to sit in her library and eat at the middle school and high school. If you'd like to cut a pool noodle six feet and stick it in between kids. So, <laughs> but we don't, we've seen the hula hoop thing and we've seen a lot of different things. We just haven't done that yet. We just haven't had, I haven't had a call for that. I have tape on my floor, colored um, duct tape on my floor. And the kids all know their desk has to sit on their duct tape. They have boxes that have all their individual manipulatives. Um, so they don't ever share any manipulatives. Um, they're not allowed to sharpen pencils. I sharpen them, put them in a tray, spray them, leave them sit there for a few days, and then dump them back in the, the ready box. Uh, there, I, there have been quite a few things. I keep forgetting some of them because now we're starting to get used to it a little bit, you know? Cutesy things. I don't have wings. Um, my front, my favorite one is the kids, they want to be mummies in line, Molly, when we talk about <laughs> separating. They'll do the mummy line thing, but um, sticking their hands straight out in front of them. But really... I like it. I'm going to tell my kids they need to walk in line like mummies. <laughs> Let's see how that goes with middle schoolers. Because yeah. like you said, like the minute they have freedom, they're like in a huddle. You're like, guys. Yeah. Line not, a, line not a mob is what I tell them when we're walking down the hall. Line not a mob. <laughs> uh-huh. I also have to, you know, a lot of the masks are too big for kids. So I don't know if your kids have masks that are designed to fit their faces. I actually, like my sister had made me some masks and some of hers were very small. And I had this really cool Marvel superhero one, but it's actually terrible to teach in because the cotton is so thick. So one of my students, his mask fit terribly. And I pulled out this little Marvel one and I said, this one's yours. 
I don't want to see you wear anything else. And so he wears that one now. But a lot of times I have to be like, fix your nose because it's always yeah. sliding down their face. Fix your nose. Yeah. And now well, my- like, you know, you get so many little opportunities. If they fix it themselves, you're like constantly like, yes, great job. Thank you for taking care of your nose. Yeah. But, well, yeah. again, our new teacher brought back a clip system and it's not just a punishment where you clip down. It's you can clip up too and get rewards for that. And that's our brand new teacher. She did that. But we have the same thing, Molly, where they're, they're slipping down and their noses are showing and you're like, no, 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 no. You don't get to do that. And the, the funny part for me is fifth graders. They're always trying to pull things over on you, you know, and they're like, I wasn't doing anything, Miss Linsky, and they're knocking it down. You know, fifth graders, sorry to say, still pick their nose, you know, so you have to, you have to say, no, that's not what was going on. <laughs> you know, I recognize what was going on there. And they're at the other end of, of learning, you know, um, learning behavior where hands go below the desk and we have to say, uh-uh, put them right on top so I can see, I need to see. They think I'm keeping them from um, from playing with things in their desks, which is a problem, but no, that's not what I'm keeping them from playing with at all. <laughs> so. I understand that one because we have some middle schoolers who haven't quite figured all that out yet. And so, yeah. Totally, totally something we handle here at the middle school as well, Kathy. Ah, teaching. And speaking (laughs) of noses, that takes me way back. So like very first, I don't even think school had started. I think it was back to school night. And I had this kid. He was, you know, finger was right up his nose. And then he reached out to shake my hand. And it was the first time I had met him. So I was like, okay, fine. And I just shook it. And then I immediately went and washed my hand right after. But I uh, I was having coffee with my old, one of my old middle school teachers. And so the next day I had coffee with her. And I was like, what do you do? Because <laughs> I student taught at a high school. I was not ready for sixth graders and picking their noses. <laughs> like that was that was not part of my training. And so she, I mean, she was pretty brutally honest and blunt about it. She's like, you know, you walk over and you grab a tissue and you just hand them a tissue and you say, here, take care of that, you know, but, and sometimes you come up with subtler strategies, but she was not, she was not a subtle lady, which you guys know me. I'm not a very subtle person either. Although I have moments and I recognize when a kid needs a little more tact from me than might be my natural state of being. But that, yeah. So yeah, now we have, now we have, you know, mask issues to, to add to the interesting things that come with kids and the, you know, the, the challenges that we face every day that no one even thinks about. (laughs) When you were an accountant, did you have stories like this as an accountant? (laughs) Well, I had some, some client stories that would just shock you. They would absolutely shock you, Jessica. Just multiple clients who would come up to us and say, I have an MBA, but they couldn't reconcile a bank account. And you just look at them and say, well, that is wonderful. Good for you. Way to go. Let us help you. (laughs) Obviously you can't untangle this every 30 days. I'm undoing all this, all these pieces. That's why our job's so awesome though, is so many fun stories with kids too. That's right. Uh, you had talked about um, 
you want to keep learning and growing. And so as we kind of wrap this up, because we're constantly talking about our conference that's coming up and you had mentioned you learned and it was Kim Bevel that came and presented at a leadership and you're taking that learning and putting right into the classroom. What is important to you about the CCIRA conference? Oh my goodness. So the, the first year I taught up here at Deer Creek, um, the person who was our president of our local council that year um, mentioned it to me. I had no idea what CCIRA is. I'd never heard of it before. It was my second year back in Colorado. And um, I found out at that time that our, at that time, our PTA paid to have teachers go for the one day for the Friday. And so I went and asked our principal if I could go. Our district gives us a, a PD day for the Friday to go to the conference. And I went to it and I learned. I sat and just soaked up all these things. So many things. My head hurt. I couldn't imagine how I was going to implement all of them. I didn't have a clue. And so wonderful, wonderful, incredible educators who had much more processing time and thoughtfulness said to me, if you can find one thing that maybe even is a thread through what you're learning that you can take back and use this year, you have, that's a success. That's a success story. And so every year when I go, I have looked for the one thing that I can take back and try to use in my classroom. Now that one thing could be, um, uh, an idea, a process that I learn about at um, a general session that is encouraged in one of the classrooms that the luncheon speaker um, elaborates on and talks more about. But it's the one thing I need for my classroom. And that has happened over and over and over again. Every time I've attended CCIRA, um, whether I'm listening to Reggie Routman or um, Mr. Brooks, or um, I'm going in and I'm hearing in-classroom teachers who come to share their expertise at the conference to share what they're doing, what they've learned, what they've experienced. Every single time I've found that one thing and threaded it through how to make it a better thing for my classroom. Do they all stick? No. Do they all get tried? Yes. And do they all, um, uh, can I share them with other people in my building? Absolutely. Absolutely. I wish more of them could always go. And maybe this year with it being online and much less expensive, I'm really hoping that they get to do that. We still get the professional day, even though it's Friday night and Saturday this year, we still get the professional day. So our administrators looking for a tie-in to see how maybe we can do that. And I just love the support from our district, from our PTA and from our um, uh, class, our building administration. It's wonderful. And I love to ask Kathy when we have guests on here, who has been the, you know, if you think back through all your years of CCRA, like what speaker or what practice has had the biggest impact on you or is just the most memorable, you know, something that you go back to over and over and over again? I think this movement in the classroom, and I think now it's even more important. It's vital. Um, Molly, I would say the person at CCIRA, the whole group, 
that has had the biggest impact on me that I have um, talked about repeatedly because of what this person did when they came to our school is Jessica. When the first time I met Jessica, she came up as um, assistant state coordinator or state coordinator, I can't remember. And she was visiting for a literacy night and I got pulled out to do something else. And she was standing in the cafeteria. We feed our families every single year. We figure out some way to scrape money together to feed the families because they're coming from downtown to come up and, and have this literacy night with our kids. And um, I turned around and there's Jessica scooping up um, uh, spaghetti to feed our kids. And I'm like, wait a minute, this woman is, you know, she walks on water. She's an EC member. And here she is out scooping up and making sure our kids, then I get called out again and I turn around and there she is cleaning up the cafeteria. And it was just the absolute service oriented focus of Jessica representing this organization that made such an impact on me. It really does. That That is huge to me. And I have to give credit to my parents. They raised me well, and they raised me not to stand around and watch other people work. <laughs> so, Kathy, as we wrap up our conversation, I know that teachers are struggling, especially this year. It's especially stressful. There's added things wherever you are. What what would be one piece of advice you could give to teachers right now? Um, for me, the biggest piece of advice that I could share with teachers is that it's going to sneak up on you. If you feel like you're handling it, if you feel like everything's going okay, um, I, I didn't feel like this was such a problem. I am not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I didn't mind being at home. I didn't mind those pieces, but the stress that you're talking about, the added burden, the um, the worry that you have for the kids that you cannot meet like you normally do, it's going to hit you and it's going to affect you. Be real about it. It does. And it's going to be something you can talk with a, uh, a colleague about. It's going to be something that you need to admit and to um, go ahead and say, okay, this was a bad day. This happened or this moment it doesn't even have to be a day it could be just this moment when you felt like that child really needed you to be in their face and getting a hold of them just take a breath you're human it's okay you're you're not being a bad teacher just because this crept up on you and this affected you for that moment take a breath you're a good professional you're an honest person you're there to do what's best for those kids Take a breath, realize that, and calm down in that because that's what you need. Trust yourself. You're a professional. Well, and that reminds me, when you were talking about collaboration earlier, I thought of this and then, you know, it slipped to my mind. But some of our collaboration needs to be collaborating in decompression. There's a lot on our plates and, you know, we have to-do lists that are a mile long. And, you know, I have a coworker who said to me the other day, she said, I don't know how you are so efficient, but I'm really jealous of it. And I'm thinking, what? I'm efficient. But one thing that I think allows the time when I sit down to work to be productive is I actually make it okay to walk away from my desk. 
So the other day while the art teacher was hanging up some projects in the hallway, I sat and had a chat with her and, you know, she actually got some ideas from me about some classwork. I got some ideas from her. And so sometimes the best thing you can do for yourself is give yourself some time off so that when you are ready to sit down, your brain is a little less frazzled. You're going to get more out of it than if you'd been sitting and plugging away and plugging away and plugging away. Because sometimes you're just so fried that you start working really slowly. And so give yourself a moment to go share ideas or just to commiserate for a second. And usually that leads to some sharing ideas. Not always. Like don't let yourself get stuck in like negative doom and gloom. But also give yourself permission to not be okay for a moment. Like Tuesday morning was a bad morning for me. I got to school. I went to my, you know, partner teacher's room. I closed her door. And then I was like, I just need a moment to like cry. And so like just quickly kind of debriefed with her. And then it was like, okay, now I can go start my day and do my best for kids. Like, and you have to give the kids that's... and the colleagues the same, the same permission. Mm-hmm. You really yes. do have to give them that same permission. And yes. that's hard because they should be perfect, even if you aren't. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, Kathy? I'm the only one who's supposed to be perfect. Everyone else gets grace. <laughs> nice. I love it. <laughs> Those are great ideas and support. Just take a breath and give yourself permission. And our next guest, that are coming up on the podcast are also teachers like Kathy. So Kathy, we appreciate all of the ideas and thoughts that you had today. And we are excited to hear from more teachers. So thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. To find out more about CCIRA, go to ccira.org. On CCIRA.org, you can join as a member or find great resources like our professional development blog, which posts every Tuesday and has a variety of guest writers on an awesome selection of topics. CCIRA is a professional organization of educators and community members dedicated to the promotion and advancement of literacy. We also have a Twitter account at Colorado Reading. You can find us on Instagram at CCIRA underscore Colorado Reading. Or you can find us on Facebook, where we also have a members-only group that we're trying to build. And our Facebook account is CCIRA Colorado Reading. We'd love to hear more from you. And again, if you're looking for new content, please send any questions or things you'd be interested in seeing from CCIRA to CCIRAvideo at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great week.